Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 838 of the Juicebox podcast. Today on the Juicebox podcast, we're going to take a look at Tide Pool. Did you feel it? Bad pun? That's right. Howard Look is on the show. He's the founder, president, and CEO of Tide Pool to talk about Tide Pool in general and the Tide Pool Loop app that just received FDA clearance. While you're listening today, please remember that nothing you hear on the Juice Box podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. If you're a person who has type 1 diabetes or is the caregiver of someone with type 1, please take 10 minutes out of today to go to t1dexchange.org forward slash juicebox. All I'm asking you to do, join the registry, complete the survey. It should take you about 10 minutes. When you complete that survey, your answers will help diabetes research to move forward. t1dexchange.org forward slash juicebox. I have a moment, so let me tell you that the Juicebox podcast has an entire series worth of algorithm-based episodes, including a ton about loop. Check us out on Facebook or at juiceboxpodcast.com. This episode of the Juicebox Podcast is sponsored by the Contour Next One Blood Glucose Meter. You can find out all about that little meter at contournext.com forward slash juicebox. Get the meter that my daughter uses. Speaking of what my daughter uses, you could get your diabetes supplies the way we do from US Med. Get your free benefits check right now at 888 888- 721-1514, or by going to usmed.com forward slash juicebox. Quite a, quite a team, actually. And if you don't mind, before we talk about everything that's gone on recently, can you talk about that? I mean, you said you founded the whole thing. Was it just you in the beginning, or was it you and a handful of people? How did that go? Yeah, so it actually goes back to 2012, 2013. So my daughter Katie was diagnosed in 2011, uh, with type one, I was actually working at Amazon at the time. It was, uh, the consumer electronics subsidiary of Amazon called lab 126 and Katie gets diagnosed. And my, uh, initial reaction was, oh my God, I, I knew nothing about diabetes. I didn't know what insulin was. I didn't know there were different kinds of diabetes. And so it was really a crash course. I think like for a lot of parents and, you know, very quickly into our journey, um, she got put on a Medtronic insulin pump and originally the, the N-Light sensor. Um, I'm not exactly answering your question, but I'll get to it in, in just a second because I think it's kind of part of the journey. Of um, so she was on the N-Light sensor, which for her just didn't work. Like it wasn't comfortable. It wasn't accurate. It, uh, you know, she would cry every time uh, it had to go in. We called it the harpoon. It just wasn't right for her. And fortunately... Uh, right around that time is when the Dexcom G4 came out. And so then she's still on the Medtronic pump, but using a Dexcom G4. But we have this crazy situation where at the time, neither the Dexcom software nor Medtronic software would run on my Mac. And I was like, I can't see your data. Like, this is crazy. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, I literally was saying, who writes this stuff? Like, why is it so hard? It shouldn't be so hard to, to see the data. So I started asking around. I started, you know, meeting other people 
that felt like I did. Um, I always like to give credit to Scott Hanselman. He had this great blog post in 2012 called The Sad State of Diabetes Technology. And if you scroll, you know, 130 people down in the comments, you'll see me going, hi, my name's Howard. This is all kind of crazy. I'd like to do something about it. Anybody else want to do something about it? And so I started getting introduced to people, you know, like Lane Desborough, like Brian Maslish, people who were also tinkering and trying to make things better for living with type 1. I eventually got introduced to a team of folks up at UCSF, uh, Dr. Saleh Adi and Dr. Aaron Neinstein and Dr. Janice Wong. And they had started a little company called Green Dot Diabetes with another um, geek dad, for lack of a better way of saying it, like me, named Steve McCann. He also had a teenage daughter living with type 1 and had been doing a little bit of hacking to visualize her data. And when I met that team, Steve and the doctors at UCSF, I was like, oh my God, they're doing something about it. I want to do something about it. I initially proposed to Steve that he and I go do a startup together. And he said, you know what? I don't really want to do another startup. I want to go do this other thing. But if you do it, I'll give you your initial funding or, or, or his wife uh, at the time. And he gave us our initial funding. And uh, that was how Tidepool was born. Wow. So it started as Green Dot Diabetes for people at UCSF and me uh, and Steve McCann. Um, we decided to rename it Tidepool in May of 2013. And that's when I became CEO. Mm -hmm. And uh, we never looked back. Wow. Um, from that point on, I started meeting people. Uh, the actual first person I hired at the time was uh, Ben West, who I think is you know super well known in the DIY community. He's the guy who did the original reverse engineering of the Medtronic insulin pump, uh, which ultimately led to Open APS and Loop and lots of other great things. I ended up meeting um, Brandon Arbiter, who I convinced uh, to move to California and uh, start Tidepool with me. And uh, the rest is history, as they say. We started small and, and humble, and we've kind of slowly grown over the last 10 years. It's um, it's an interesting way to build something, just continuing to call out of this group of people who are all very focused for personal reasons and yet very technically adept. I'll tell you, there's, I, I, I recognized almost every name you said, but I, I want to tell you that I did an interview with Dr. Adi once it's one of the best conversations I ever had about diabetes. Oh, he's amazing. Yeah. I love him. We used to call him, uh, the basil whisperer. He is so good and he's so calm, but so insightful. He can look in data and just go, aha, we should look at your basal rates between three 30 AM and 6 AM or aha, your ISF is off by 10% at this time of day. I remember saying something that he agreed with and I was so proud of myself. <laughs> I was like, wow. All right. Uh, but yeah, we we had such a what I would consider to be a geeky conversation about using insulin that was just yeah. really fascinating and, and very, very informative. I, I still hear about it from people. They say it's one of the best episodes in the podcast. Oh, so, that's great. Yeah. Sa cool. Saleh, Dr. D, he is amazing. Uh, I consider him a, a close friend. I was actually just in touch with him earlier this week. And uh, he he was our original chief medical advisor yeah. uh, at at. Tidepool. Well, please tell him I said hello if you see him again. Um, sure will. So, okay. So I understand how you all are then aware of this loop algorithm that exists in the world. It's being made just by people. And, you know, we're going to use words that if people don't understand uh, the idea of sharing code online, I don't even mm -hmm. understand what I do to be perfectly 
like honestly here like here i'll give you an example i have a github account i don't know what that means mm-hmm. um, <laughs> i um i happy to explain it no no if to. you explain it to me to go right through my head and out the other side which i think is why it's good about what you guys did you know uh lovely people will jump on zooms with me and help me rebuild my daughter's loop app sometimes and mm-hmm, as mm-hmm. i'm doing it i think oh i do know how to do this but i my brain just doesn't work that way um but my daughter's been using Loop for a number of years now, and yeah, she began. I don't know, Howard. I'm sorry, you. My daughter's 18. She's in college. She's a freshman. She was diagnosed when she was two, so you have some context. Um, and a listener of the podcast came to me one day and said, "You should put your daughter on Loop," and like gave me the big like sell about it. And later they came on the show to tell me that they just wanted my daughter to be on Loop so I could figure out how to use Loop so I could explain it to other people. <laughs> And I was like, <laughs> okay. Um, but wow, what a big difference. Because I had taught myself, I didn't realize it at the time, but I had taught myself to sort of be a living algorithm, to to add basil and take it right. away and bolus in strange places where nobody would ever think to bolus and, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and I thought, I'm so good at it. Like, we don't need this. And, you know, but who? I was so wrong, you, you know, because... I sleep now like a regular person and right. you know, and my daughter's in college taking care of herself and, yeah. you know, and maintaining a one C's that are just beyond respectable and eating what she wants and all this stuff. So I'm mm-hmm. always very, uh, very grateful that that person came to me and said that, but it threw me into a world that was at, at first it was off putting. Like, you know, the first time someone mm-hmm. says to you that a bunch of strangers, like faceless people, wrote code that's going to, right. you know, it's going to talk to your insulin pump and a CGM and it's going to make decisions about your insulin. It's mind numbing at first. You're like, well, that can't be right. Like, that, like, how does that happen? But mm-hmm. then one day you guys came along and said, we're going to take that code and we're going to get it FDA approved. I, and again, I was like, I don't understand how that works either. So, can you tell me that first? How is it? I know it is. I just don't understand the process. How is it okay for you to go online and be like, here, we're taking this code and we're going to put it through the FDA? Is it because it doesn't belong to anybody to begin with? Or can you explain that whole thing to me? Yeah, it's a really great question. and really gets to the heart of the ethos of the do-it-yourself and open source software development community. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned GitHub. GitHub is just a place online where people like to store their source code and it happens to be very happens to be very popular with people in the open source community uh as a way to share their work with other people and so uh to tell the story i have to back up a little bit um, my daughter's in the same zone as your daughter she's 22 now was diagnosed when she's 11 she's a senior in college now and and doing great and back when she was uh, a freshman in high school one of the first open source do-it-yourself projects that came out was called Open APS. Um, uh, Scott Liebrand and Dana Lewis, um, uh, along with building on top of the work that Ben West and John Kostick had done, made that happen. And uh, my daughter, Katie, is uh, uh, Dana has the actual list. I don't remember the number. It's somewhere between 15 and was my daughter was somewhere between number 15 and 25. And I don't remember the actual number, but it was very early on. I started meeting other people like Brandon Arbeiter, my colleague and Ben West, who were using open APS and getting amazing results. 
like you, my wife and I, we we were really um, struggling, I think is a fair word. You know, we would take turns getting up at night to check our daughter's blood sugar when she was having a rough night. Uh, we really knew there had to be a better way. And we, when I started seeing what was possible based on a software algorithm making the decisions, it was just super clear to me uh, that software could do a much better job of making the minute to minute decisions. Like you and I can do a great job. Our daughters can do a great job, but we're not going to stop every five minutes and do the math and figure out what the right thing to do is tirelessly. The software can do that. And so I did the work to build open APS for my daughter. In the beginning, it was this clunky rig with a big giant battery and a raspberry pi and the carelink stick and i every day my job in the morning was to pack it all up and put it in a little camera case and stick it in her backpack and send her off to school and then every night i took it out and made sure it all got charged and you know logged in to make sure everything was working okay and even with all that effort it was totally worth it. Cause like you said, there were really two big impacts to that. One was my daughter for the first time since being diagnosed could go back to living a much more normal life. She could just go about her day as a teenager and not have to worry that she was going to go low or not have to worry that she was going to go high because the system would just deal with it. And then the big win for my wife and I is not only could we worry less about her, we slept better. So it was just better for us as parents and better for our marriage and just better for our family. So it was super clear to me early on that that was the way things needed to go. Fast forward a couple of years, Loop becomes a project. I was very fortunate to see Loop early in its development cycle. I think the first person to show it to me was Ben Kamins. Uh, At the time, he was VP of engineering at Khan Academy. He lives with type 1 diabetes, and he was friends with Nate Recklift. Uh, Nate wrote the original version of Loop. And I went out to breakfast with Ben and saw what he was using, saw the Riley link, the little doodad that you need in order to make it talk to a Medtronic insulin pump at the time. And I was like, what is that? Show me how that works. And he talked me through it. And so I was immediately hooked. Uh, I immediately got myself a Riley link. Uh, I went and built it myself. At the time, early in the evolution of do-it-yourself loop, uh, it was one big giant Google document that um, Jeremy Lucas and Katie DeSimone had worked on. And uh, I powered my way through that Google document. It you know took me half a day, but got it up and running. And it was incredible. Mm. So not only did it have that automation component, uh, the ability to make decisions every five minutes, but because it was iPhone based, it meant I didn't have to bundle up that crazy battery raspberry Pi stuff to send with my daughter. She could actually just control her diabetes from her phone. And it was, it was absolutely mind blowing. So the cool thing about the work that all of these people did, you know, going way back to Ben's work, reverse engineering the Medtronic insulin pump, John Costick's work, reverse engineering the Dexcom G4 at the time uh, protocol, um, the work that Pete Schwamm did in order to design the Riley link, and then the work that Nate Raycliffe did to 
build and publish loop, they all made it openly available. Every single one of them said, I've done something good. This is going to be helpful for the rest of the diabetes community. And I'm not in this for the money. I just want to help people. And so they made it available. Yeah. And to me, that is just one of the incredible stories out of the diabetes community is how many people have done that. How many people have said, this is not about the money. This is about helping our kids live a more normal life. This is about helping ourselves to not have to have fear that our kids are going to make it through the night. And so we're just going to put this code out there and, and help as many people as we can. You ask, so how does it work? So uh, everybody I mentioned put their code online. Most most people use GitHub these days, but it's not always GitHub. It's just a place to store the source code. And they generally make their code available using what's called a permissive open source license. Mm -hmm. So uh, a lot of people have heard of GPL, uh, the GNU public license. That's uh, a less than permissive open source license that requires you to uh, contribute your changes back. Lots of good reasons to do that. There are also permissive open source licenses. Uh, the two most notable ones are uh, the MIT license and the BSD license. Um, and those two licenses are really short and you put them at the top of your source code and it basically says, use at your own risk, do whatever you want, take it, change it, it's yours. The only requirement is that you put this copyright notice at the top of the file. Mm -hmm. You can do whatever you want. And that ability is what lets people take all these components and mix them up and do new wonderful things like create open APS and create loop. And there are lots of other examples of that. So what we at Tidepool decided to do was to take that open source code that Nate had published, that uh, Pete Schwamm had published, and we brought it in to Tidepool. And when I say we brought it in, what does that mean? On on uh, GitHub, you do what's called creating a fork. It's really just making a copy of the code. But now all that code lives in Tidepool's account. And so we can make changes to it. We can publish those changes and other people can take them if they want to. But because all of those people publish their code with a permissive open source license, it also means that we can bundle it up and package it and take it to the FDA and say, hey, here's this work that we've done. Is it okay for us to call this um, a, a product that we're gonna ship to the world within FDA's regulations and put it in the app store? So that's the work we did between 2018 and now 2023. Wow, can I ask a question about that? Yeah. What stops somebody now that you have an FDA approved from resharing the code online as the official Tidepool code that you can just do DIY? Does anything? Uh, nothing, nothing stops them. And okay. in fact, we have published all of our code via open source that they can't call it Tidepool. Tidepool right. is a trade part, trademark name, and mm -hmm. they have to get our permission to do that. They also can't say it's FDA cleared. The thing that is FDA cleared is the package of the software compiled, built, that includes all of the clinical evidence that they that we submitted, all of the verification and validation testing that we did, all the human factors testing we did, a long laundry list of things that we needed to do in order to submit it to the FDA. That, we we own that FDA clearance. And that clearance, it's I, that's why I wanted to bring it up. That clearance encompasses much more than just the code that is the app. 
It's, it's that's right. What you As a matter of fact, been working on for all these this time now. That's exactly right. In yeah. fact, if it were just the code, it would be easy because most of the code existed for as long as DIY loopers have been using DIY loop. Mm -hmm. The work in getting to FDA clearance uh, is a whole bunch of things, and I won't go into all the nerdy regulatory detail, but you need to submit clinical evidence. So the way we did that with the FDA's encouragement was we collaborated with the DIY community and our friends at the Jabe Center for Health Research, and we uh, did the Jabe, uh, sorry, the loop observational study. So the observational study loop was over a thousand people using the DIY version of the loop, many of whom hang out in the looped Facebook group. Over 850 of those people ended up submitting at least six months, if not 12 months worth of data that we then gathered, actually the Jabe Center for Health Research gathered it, they then did a bunch of statistical analysis on that data. We ended up with a two or 300 page clinical study report and a bunch of other uh, data analyses that we did. That package of clinical data is part of our submission and was part of demonstrating to the FDA that the loop algorithm was safe and effective. Mm -hmm. So that's one big piece of it. Another big piece of it is what's called verification and validation. Um, most people just call it V and V for short. And that's really the effort to not just test the software, but to document with full traceability that you know that the requirement, the specific user story that is intended to be done is working the way it's intended and that you can demonstrate through test documentation that you have completely fulfilled that requirement and have reduced whatever risks may exist in that software. So we did a huge risk management effort. We did a huge verification validation effort that was part of our submission. Mm -hmm. uh, and we're super proud of that. Um, we also did human factors testing. One of the things you're required to do with an FDA submission is demonstrate that your software can be used by the general population. So we actually, along with our partners at a firm called CoreHF in Philadelphia, um, ran rigorous formal human factors usability studies where they gave people very specific tasks and had watched them uh, do those tasks and then recorded the data. Now, sidebar on this one, this is one of the things that was really challenging about our submission. We were ready to start our human factors testing right around February, March of 2020. Mm. And uh, typically the way human factors testings work is you bring people into an office and you sit them at a table and you give them the training and then you have cameras all over them and you have a one-way mirror and you record the whole thing. That's all fabulous unless a global pandemic breaks out. So right around the time we were starting our getting ready to start our human factors testing, we had to completely redo the human factors protocol because of COVID-19. We ended up running our human. So first we had to redo the protocol to make it a completely remote human factor study. So people did the study from home. Mm -hmm. We recorded them over Zoom. We recorded the screen of what they were seeing on their phone. And we did all that. And it was, 
I don't know if anybody had done it that way before, but it was certainly new and novel for us and new and novel for the team we were working with. Sure. So we had to generate all that data and then submit that as part of our submission. And 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 we did it. It, it took extra time, but by August, September, we were doing full remote human factor studies. Can you tell me, did you learn enough about the process with the FDA that if you had to do it again, do you think they're would you be able to streamline what you did the first time? Was there a lot of learning? Oh, heck yeah. Heck yeah. yeah. There was a ton of learning. Uh, the FDA calls us uh, a first-time sponsor. Um, tons of things that we would be much, much better at doing it the second time. Um, on top of the fact that now that we have a cleared system, that system becomes what's called a predicate device. So any future submissions we do will refer to this submission and say, Everything about this is the same except these parts. Yeah. And then they only have to look at the iterative parts. And you know why I'm asking you that, right? Because one, Absolutely. one of the best parts of Loop is how how flexible it is and how it 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 morphs and changes so quickly. Um and you know, people uh, it, you know, from from my perspective, you feel like that happens more quickly because you don't have to go to somebody at the end of a change and say, Hey, is this okay? But like, like, I mean, for an example, like I, what the version you have gotten through, like, when did you start mm -hmm. this? What, like, what, 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 what year did you grab the code and start this whole thing? Uh, the process started in earnest mid 2018, 2018. So now in 2022, my daughter's using loop three, I guess. Mm -hmm. And in the past I've used Pete's branch. I've used Ivan's branch. I've used, you know what I mean? Like I've used so right. many different things. I've used, uh, auto bolus. I've used. Um, you know, what what this one's going to do, I think, was going to make adjustments through basal adjustments. Is that correct? And it so are you going to keep going? Like, are you like, are you in a back room right now planning on the next thing? Or like, I know it's well, weird to ask before you get the thing out, but, you know, not at all. Uh, 100%. We are absolutely not just thinking about but working on subsequent versions of Tide Pollute. And you're bringing up a really important point. And this is where what we've done which is to mesh the world of regulated medical device software with the world of do-it-yourself innovation, uh, we're now seeing what that means. We submitted in December of 2020. Mm -hmm. It's now January of 2023. That was a long review process. Some of that was due to the pandemic. Some of that was because it... Uh, took a lot of time to work through with the agency what it means to build a truly interoperable system. Yeah. And we can talk more about that. But what we have now becomes the foundation for all future iteration, not just for us, but for anybody else that wants to submit a device that refers to Tidepool Loop as the predicate device. So yes, we definitely learned a ton and future submissions will go way faster because of that. But also we can build upon the work we've already done. So by way of example, since, you know, your daughter is a looper, you may know uh, about uh, the overrides in DIY loop. Yep. So overrides showed up in DIY loop very much near the end of the loop observational study. Um, and what that means is most of the clinical data that we submitted does not include data with people using overrides. So we can't, we couldn't in our submission in December 2020 include overrides as part of the functionality. Now, it's clearly up and running and working in the DIY community, 
we have a version up and running in our development branch. And what we can do now is on top of the clearance that we already got, go back with another submission saying, here's new clinical data, here's new uh, VNV data, here's new human factors data. We now want to add this functionality on top of what we already submitted to, and it'll be much easier to do that. Yeah, that's very cool. Um, Okay, that's amazing. I appreciate you giving me that like for everybody listening, honestly, because there's a lot of words like, yeah, it's loop. It, it, if you don't know anything about it, you're listening right now. You're like, DIY, that means do it yourself. Okay. And then, you know, like there's just too many phrases and words that I think people don't even like you say raspberry Pi, like we all know what that means. <laughs> and you know, then I know what it means. Uh, but you know, so context is important. I, I have to say, so, so maybe I can, can I build on that just for one second? Yeah, 100%. Um, it's it. It, it, one thing I want to make super clear, the thing we did makes Tide Pull Loop not be a DIY do-it-yourself project. So right. DIY Loop will continue to exist. The We Are Not Waiting movement will continue doing its thing, innovating and trying new things out. And I love that. I encourage um, uh, innovation. And I'm very, very happy that the DIY community exists and will continue to exist. Tide Pull Loop is not a DIY project. Tide Pull Loop will be in the App Store just like any other app that people download to their phone. Yeah. And I think that's one of the, the reasons why the work we did is so important because there are a whole lot of people that don't want to build their, their own system. People who are like Xcode, I don't want to deal with compiling yeah. GitHub, Xcode, blah, 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 blah. Uh, I, I want to do that. I am one of those people. I, I don't I don't want to do it. And, you know, the things, the machinations we went through to make sure that my daughter was okay when she went away to school and to make sure she was covered mm-hmm. if the app should crash or like something like that. I, I don't want to live through any of that. So some at some point then, you're going to be able to go to your doctor and get a prescription that lets you go to the app store and download your app. Is that right? Is that how that's going to work? Uh, it, it's close. So the way it will work is Tide Pull Loop will be in the App Store. Anybody will be able to download it just like you download any other app from the App Store. Mm-hmm. In order to activate it, you're going to need an activation code, which you'll get through your healthcare provider. We've created a, a healthcare provider portal where they can go to create a prescription. And this isn't like a prescription that you take to CVS or Walgreens. It's a digital prescription, but it will send you a code through text message or email that once once you type that code into Tidepool Loop, it unlocks all the functionality so that you can use it. And it will cause your entire set of initial settings which you'll establish with your healthcare provider to get downloaded. Hmm. Now, a lot of people will say, well, wait a minute, can I change the settings by myself? And the answer is absolutely positively yes. It's just that initial set that your healthcare provider will establish. We all know that diabetes is self-managed disease. We all know that there are some people that are comfortable changing their settings on their own. And there are lots of people who like to do it in uh, coordination with their healthcare provider. We've made it so that the healthcare provider works with you to establish the initial set, but then you can go in and modify it over time. Okay. That's really great. Do you think there's a, a thirst with the pump companies? Like you have agreements with, do you call them agreements? Who's it going to work with right uh, when it comes out, I guess is the way I should ask. Have you found that getting your diabetes supplies can be a pain in the butt? I have too. But... Not any longer. 
because now we're getting Arden's diabetes supplies from U.S. Med. To get a free benefits check, just call 888-721-1514 or go to usmed.com forward slash juice box. U.S. Med has served over 1 million diabetes customers since 1996, and they want you to know that they're offering you better service and better care than you're getting now. U.S. Med always provides 90 days worth of supplies and fast and free shipping. They carry everything from insulin pumps and diabetes testing supplies to the latest CGMs like the Freestyle Libre 2 and the Dexcom G6. Arden gets her Dexcoms and her Omnipods from U.S. Med. U.S. Med accepts Medicare nationwide and over 800 private insurers. U.S. Med is the number one distributor for Freestyle Libre systems, the number one specialty distributor for Omnipod Dash, number one fastest growing tandem distributor, the number one rated distributor in Dexcom customer service satisfaction surveys, and they are proud of the white glove treatment that they offer their customers. USmed.com forward slash juice box or call 888 721 1514. And that 888 number is special just for Juicebox podcast listeners. Now, if you decide to go to the website, it's super simple. Here's what it tells you when you get there Getting started is easy. From the comfort of your own home or office, you can now join over 1 million satisfied customers who rely on our staff of courteous, knowledgeable, and trained U.S. Med customer care representatives to keep you up to date with your medical and diabetic supplies delivered right to your door. Super simple benefits check. Name, phone number, email, zip code, and then just hit the button that says request a free benefits check. It's that easy. Let U.S. Med take care of your supplies so you don't have to worry. At some point on your diabetes journey, a person gave you a blood glucose meter. Did they say to you, hey, this is a great blood glucose meter. It's one of the most accurate ones that they ever made. No, no, no one said that. Did they say, by the way, there are other blood glucose meters. You might want to look into it. I'm just going to give you this one because I have it here in the drawer. Nope, they didn't say that either. They just gave it to you and you thought, well, this must be my blood glucose meter because the doctor gave it to me. But there are many meters and they're not all made equally. You deserve an accurate, well-made, and easy-to-use blood glucose meter. You deserve the Contour Next One. The Contour Next One is my favorite blood glucose meter. I know that's a strange thing to say, but we've used a number of them over the years, and this one is my favorite. Why? Bright light for use at night. The screen, super easy to read. It's manageable, and by that I mean it's a good size. It's not too big. It's not too small. And I love the way it fits in my hand. It's sort of um, because of the shape, which you'll see at contournext.com forward slash juice box. Almost feels like you're holding a a pen in your hand. I don't know how to put it exactly. You'll see when you get to the website. But the Contour Next One blood glucose meter is incredibly accurate. But you might be worried, Scott, all this accuracy. uh, Is it more expensive? Am I going to be paying a bunch more money? Uh, I don't think so. Actually, if you go to contournext.com forward slash juice box, you can actually buy it right now at a number of online venues. Walmart, Amazon, Walgreens, CVS, a list goes on and on, Target, Rite Aid. And so when you get to my link, check it out. Because you might be able to save time and money buying Contour Next products from the convenience of your home. What am I saying? 
Well, I'm saying that it's possible that this meter and the test strips could be cheaper in cash than you're paying right now through your insurance company for an inferior product. How crazy is that? You owe it to yourself to be using the best equipment that you can. And there's no reason not to check out the Contour Next One blood glucose meter. ContourNext.com forward slash juice box. Who's it going to work with right uh, when it comes out, I guess is the way I should ask. Yeah. So let me tell you the history of that, and then I'll bring you up to speed uh, where we are today. Mm -hmm. So in 2018, we announced a development partnership with Insulet, makers of Omnipod. In 2019, we announced development partnerships with both Medtronic and Dexcom. Now, let me take a step back for a second. In order to use Tide Pull Loop, you need three things. And these three things are all part of what the FDA calls their interoperability pathway. You need a continuous glucose monitor, which the, the, the FDA calls an ICGM for interoperable continuous glucose monitor. Mm -hmm. You need an insulin pump, and the FDA calls that an ACE pump or alternate controller-enabled inf insulin infusion pump. And then you need what's called an IAGC. That's us, an interoperable automated glycemic controller. So you need those three pieces, ICGM, ACE pump, IAGC, where the IAGC with Tide Pool Loop. So Dexcom is still very much a development partner with us, and we're very much looking forward to other continuous glucose monitor companies being becoming compatible with Tide Pool Loop. Medtronic and Insulet at this point in time have said that they will not be our launch partners as ACE pumps. We're very grateful to them for supporting the development of Tide Pool Loop. I will tell you that we are working with another ACE pump partner that isn't ready to talk about who they are yet, but we're really excited about them. It's a company that everyone knows and we think everyone loves, and it's going to make a really great combination with Tide Pool Loop. The great thing about Tide Pool Loop is that it was architected from the ground up to be interoperable, mm -hmm. meaning we can add new CGMs and add new ACE pumps, and we don't have to submit new evidence to the agency. Part of our submission was a set of plans and processes and nerdy regulatory speak, they're called SOPs, Standard Operating Procedures. We came up with SOPs that we agreed with the FDA. As long as we follow those procedures, we can add new devices over time without a new submission to the FDA. And so for us, we feel like that's pretty groundbreaking. Yeah. Like Tide Pool Loop is the first truly interoperable system that is designed from the ground up to allow new devices to be added over time without a new submission. This might be a question I shouldn't ask you, but do you think you'll get those companies back? Um, I'm, I'm never going to give up. Like, I think interoperability is the best thing for the diabetes community. I think if you're a person living with diabetes, you should get to choose what CGM you use, what pump you use, and what the user experience and algorithm is that you use to manage your diabetes. Right. I think interoperability is a great thing. I think the community appreciates this approach. And I think over time, we will see that comp companies will start to embrace it as well. It just, I mean, from my perspective, not knowing anything that's going on in any of those companies, but it just, more options seems like a good idea. Like, you, you know, I like, think so. Yeah, like I, I you know, it, it right up until you said that, I sort of had like this little, 
like the 10 year old me inside was all like, oh my God, the world's going to work the way it's supposed to. Uh, you know, we're going to, uh, you're going to get this thing and it's going to just work here or here or wherever we want it to. And pumps will just become like, like wheels, right? Like I'll have a car and then I'll pick which wheels I want to go on it. And I thought that'll be terrific. And then you said that and I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> so um, don't give up because, and if they're listening, you should do that. It's, it just makes sense. And, and it, it's the only thing, I don't know. I mean, I can see why they wouldn't want to. I'm trying to think it through. But the other idea is like, it, it's going to bring more people to pumping in general. It just, that makes sense to me. Anybody who's used lube would tell you, I'm sure that's partly what was, uh, what happened when you were talking to the FDA. It's, it's astonishing how well it works. It's just, it's really astonishing. And so, uh, you know, I hope everybody gets a chance to use it. Um, I have a lot of questions. Keep going. All right. I'll try to rapid fire them as best you can. Although it's the end on a Friday, we've all given up on enjoying this day, right? So we can just keep going. <laughs> so you, at, I'm enjoying this. Oh, good, good. I'm fun. glad. At the moment, do you have pumps that are on a compatibility list or are you not at that point yet? Uh, we do have compatible pumps. We're not able to talk about who they are yet. Uh, because the pump makers need to make their own decisions about when they're going to let the community know uh, that they are uh, going to be delivering a compatible device. Whoever they are, in my opinion, they're going to have a, a great stranglehold on some great social media and the ability to make some exciting announcements that people are going to get behind. So um, I can't. Do you have awesome. a time time frame? You think? Uh, it's going to depend a lot on the device partners, and so. We're ready to go whenever they are. Um, we're going to have some work to do with them to coordinate things like uh, uh, customer support, handoffs, and uh, pricing is a question that a lot of people want to understand. We still got to work through that, um, how it's going to work. You know, will they subsidize loop? Will that be something that insurance pays for over time? Those are all details that we still need to work out with them. All right. So I have a question that's going to sound shady. Sorry, I'm getting off the list here. Go Can they it. really stop somebody from using it? I mean, they can't stop them from DIY using it. Why would they be able to stop them from using your version of it? Well, our version, we are the only people that can put it in the app store. Um, we are prohibited by law as a cleared product from distributing this until we've met the requirements that are um, laid out by the FDA. And one of those requirements is that there is a compatible ACE pump that it can work with. So until there is a compatible ACE pump, we may not put it in the app store. And as soon as there is a compatible ACE pump, we can put it in the app store. My my point was that once that happens, can't I just pair it with a different pump? Like what would stop? Uh, well, our code will only work with cleared compatible ACE pumps. So it's on your side that it'll be... It'll, it'll be, I'm not calling it hobbled, but it'll, it'll make sure on your side that it only works with the That's ones right. that are cleared for it. It only okay. works with, with products that meet the requirements of a cleared third-party interoperable ACE pump. And one of those requirements is that the pump company wants the app to work with their pump. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Got it. All right. Thank you. Yeah, well, actually, let me, let me, let me correct that. That's not completely right. There is a world in which a pump company could deliver a pump which conforms to diabetes device interface standards. Mm -hmm. There are Bluetooth standards and IEEE standards. And 
it is possible that a company can deliver a pump that conforms with those standards and not specifically say, here are the controllers that it works with. They could just say it will work with controllers that meet these standards. Yeah, that is hypothetically possible. Mm -hmm. We haven't seen that happen yet, but I am optimistic about that in the future. I think in the original Jurassic Park movie, Jeff Goldblum says something like, life will find a way. And I think that's appropriate (laughs) right here. So, okay, we'll just keep it. It's a good example. Yeah. um, uh, uh, The algorithm that you have, will it consider digestion times? This is obviously a question from a looper. Like, can you tell it like, hey, this is going to hit more like pizza or more like candy or three hours or four hours? Can you set those uh, with the app? Yeah, absolutely. That is one of the unique and wonderful features of Tide Pool Loop. Uh, This also exists in DIY Loop. When you do a meal bolus, you not only say, here are the number of uh, grams of carbs that I'm ingesting, but in Loop, you use an interface that uses emojis, and the default emojis are lollipop, taco, and pizza. Mm -hmm. Lollipop has the fastest carb absorption time, 30 minutes. Uh, and then, uh, taco and pizza are slower. So you can say, here's a slice of grandma's lasagna. And it's clearly more like pizza than it is like a lollipop. So you tap the, the, uh, the, the pizza icon. Can you still post date, uh, a bolus? Can I, you can. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. That's another great feature that we love about loop. Uh, and, and both, again, this exists in both DIY loop and tide pool loop, um, it's a feature that I think is really great for parents of small kids with type one. For example, you put a sandwich in front of your kid, you guess it's 30 grams of carbs, you bolus for 30 grams of carbs, and then your kid decides to only eat half a sandwich. Well, it turns out with loop with tide pool loop and DIY loop, you can uh, go back and edit that meal bolus. It obviously doesn't pull insulin out of the body. But what it does is it modulates all future delivery of insulin to make up for the fact that it now knows that you ingested fewer carbs than originally planned. I would say that I think two of the best features uh, that that I would use all the time is that just be able to like, go back and say, hey, we said 40, but you know, it was really 30. And you like right. just tell it because maybe it can't get the insulin back, but it can start making decisions in the future with the idea that, hey, I think we have 10 carbs too much insulin going. Maybe I can take the basal away for longer or do something to try to impact it. And then the other thing is to be able to uh, to tell it, uh, look, I'm, I'm going to have 20, I'm going to have a 20 carb impact from fat from French fries like 90 minutes from now. And then when the loop starts seeing the impact come, it goes, oh, and, and you don't have to go back again and make a secondary bolus. It's, it's the loop version of, uh, in, you know, uh, like a square wave bolus or something like that, which is it, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, and Luke, be, besides uh, having knowledge of the um, uh, carb absorption time of what you ingested, the other nice thing about the loop algorithm is that it pays attention to how your body actually reacted. It's a uh, dynamic carb absorption mm-hmm. is the term. It, it looks at what it predicted would happen and what actually happened. And then it uses that iteratively over the course of the absorption of the carbs and the insulin to make modifications to its prediction. Did you have to get clearance for different insulins or does that lie on the device manufacturer? Uh, we did have to get cleared for different insulins. So very specifically, Tide Pool Loop is cleared for use with Humalog and Novalog. 
Um, a lot of people ask about FIASP. Um, during the clinical study, it was pretty early in the adoption of FIASP. So there wasn't a lot of data from FIASP users, but uh, over time, I think we can collect more clinical evidence and hopefully broaden the labeling uh, to include other insulins. And uh, uh, just while I'm on uh, labeling, it's labeled down to H6, yeah. uh, again, because there was plenty of data in the clinical study to support that. And over time, I would ex expect that we can expand that as well. Wow. Hey, everyone does, but don't forget a Pedra. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Don't worry. I know you're not going to, but it's uh, my daughter uses it. It's fantastic. Mm -hmm. uh, target blood sugars, mm -hmm. user definable all the way. I mean, with regular loop, I don't know. Where does it stop you? Uh, so. With DIY loop, I don't know the answer to that question. Mm -hmm. With tide pool loop, the uh, target range that, uh, is configurable by the user to anywhere between 87 milligrams per deciliter and 180 milligrams per deciliter. You're just trying to make me cry, Howard. Is that what you're doing? That's beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> Thank We're you. We're pretty happy about That's that. You should be. That's hey, let me ask you a question for the other pump manufacturers that are listening to this right now, and they're listening. So, um, how tough was it to get clearance down to 87? Did it really, was it really that tough of a slog? Like, cause they're all at like 112 or 110 or something like that. Well, uh, it, you know, I don't know how to answer. Was it tough? Uh, it was a lot of work to gather, um, analyze and present the clinical data in a way that made it clear to the agency that this would be a safe and effective way to use tide pool loop. So uh, was it tough? Uh, I would say it was a lot of work and we're very grateful to the participants in the loop observational study because the thing that made that possible was the people that were willing to do all of the work that it takes to participate in a clinical study and to make their data available so that we could include it with our submission. How valuable was that, that you were basically working with pioneers instead of people who were culled through and found through like the, the regular way they find people for stuff like that? Oh, it was to me just an incredible testament to the willingness of the community to pay it forward. Yeah. Like it is a ton of work. Um, my daughter's been in several clinical studies. I don't know if your daughter has done that, but it is hard work. Uh, you have to answer questionnaires. You have to install software to submit data. You have to be willing to let people have access to your data. Um, you have to take home HbA1c kits. Like it is a lot of effort to participate in a clinical study. Yeah. And one of the amazing things about the loop observational study, as I said earlier, there were over a thousand people enrolled in the study, over 850 of which submitted at least six months, and in some cases, 12 months of data. That is an enormous quantity of data, mm -hmm. which you don't typically see in clinical trials for medical devices. In fact, if you think about it in terms of person days of use in the study, the loop observational study had three times the data of the Medtronic 670G pivotal study, tandem control IQ study, and uh, Insulet Horizon Omnipod 5 study yeah. combined, combined three times the data. Do you know that um, I did a little survey? I, 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 I get a lot of help from wonderful people sort of like you. So I, I uh, this MPH student came to me. She just... Um, just graduated from Hopkins and she wanted to help the podcast somehow. 
And she said, how can I help? And I said, well, I'd like to do a survey, like a legitimate survey about how the podcast helps people. And she helped me put it together. And we're still collecting at this point, but we've only been at it for about two and a half weeks. We have well over 700 respondents. And Mm -hmm. she just texted me one day and she said, serious medical organizations struggle to get anywhere near this number of respondents to a survey. And I said, yeah, well, these people are motivated because the podcast helps them. Like they're trying to give, but they're looking for a way to give back. And it, it seems like you had the very same thing. So is it fair to say that the goal to having an 87 target on your system get through the FDA is your desire? Your desire is what made it happen, right? Your desire to do that. To well, it was very on. clear. So first of all, before I answer that, I need to give a huge shout out both to the looped community, the people who mostly participate in the looped Facebook group, but very specifically to Katie D. Simone. Yeah. Katie was the conduit. She was the person who sat in that community and said, Hey, everybody, you've all been asking me how you can help pay it back or pay it forward. This is how you can do it. You can participate in this clinical study. Yeah. So um Katie's work to coordinate all of that, uh, basically as the liaison between the looped community and the Jabe Center for Health Research that ran the study was just uh, absolutely incomparable. We could not have generated all that data without Katie's efforts and without the looped community. We don't know each other um, personally, but I have such a warm feeling towards her because she's the first person to come on the show and just kindly explained to me while I was going, I don't understand. I don't understand. Like walking through what loop was to me so many years ago now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. She's an amazing human and 100%. we love her dearly. Yeah. Me too. Uh, okay. So, uh, all right. So 87. Cool. I, I don't even care what the top number was. Oh, I didn't actually answer your question. <laughs> oh, oh, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. How did, how, yeah. Uh, so first, how did we come up the data with the data? And that was because of the loop community and, uh, the work that Katie did interfacing between the Jabe center for health research and the loop community participants in that study. At the end of the day, we took all of the data and we looked for very obvious places where the balance of risk of hypoglycemia and the safety of the lower target range um, made sense. And so that's just a ton of data analysis work that was done both by our data science team and also the Jabe Center for Health Research. And then ultimately it was a back and forth conversation with the agency where we presented the data, we showed them where we thought the lines should be drawn and why we thought those lines made sense. Mm -hmm. And they agreed. I feel like the answer to this question is going to be no, because of the time, the timing when you jumped in, but does the app have the ability to enter non- pumped insulin like a Frezza or a, or an injection and to give it consideration? It, that's a great question. Um, it currently does not have the ability to uh, enter outboard, uh, uh, non-pump insulin. Mm-hmm. That's obviously a feature that we know a lot of people um, would love to have and some will consider for a future version of type yeah. loop. Okay. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm scrolling past the, the questions that, and by the way, as we're thanking people, uh, the listeners of the podcast sent four pages of terrific questions for me to talk to you. Oh, that's great. Because they probably know, Howard, that what would happen is I would start pontificating and then you and I, like an hour and a half from now, would be talking about something silly and they'd be like, nobody asked any real questions and that would be my fault. (laughs) So they're trying to keep me on brand here. Um, Awesome. uh, For people who plan on just continuing to use DIY, does it help you at all if they get the prescription? Like here's the, this, I asked this question because this is somebody trying to still, they want to give back still. 
Oh, that's uh, super helpful. Um, does it help tide pull if someone gets a prescription but then continues to use DIY lube? I can't think of an immediate reason why that would be helpful, but let me uh, let me go think about that. I couldn't either, but I it just I thought it was another example of just people wanting to do something. Here's a thought, and this is you know one of the reasons again why I think what we're doing is valuable. We have heard, and you know this is anecdotal, but I think there are some folks. I know in Europe, for example, that have studied acceptance of DIY systems in endo clinics. Um, we've heard anecdotally that there are some providers that are really uncomfortable with their patients using DIY systems. Mm -hmm. So one of the big benefits, I think, of Tide Pull Loop being an FDA-cleared product and being available in the App Store is that for those people that have providers that are a little queasy about their patients beyond D DIY systems, this is a great alternative. So not only does it give the person living with diabetes who may not want to build their own system an alternate an option uh, that they can look at and go, oh, great, that's FDA cleared. It also gives their provider a little more confidence because their provider can say, okay, I'm no longer scared that you as my patient are using a system that I don't know anything about. Do you think that's mostly everybody just, uh, I was, I'm just going to say what I was going to say. That's just ass covering, right? Because like I've, I've seen doctors, people mention it and they go, no, don't, if you do that, I've heard, I've heard people be told if you do that, I'm dropping you as a patient. And right. I've seen people, doctors go, cool, let's do it. And I've seen the one where the doctor go pretends they don't know what you're saying. They almost la 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 their way through it when you tell them, and then they just act like you never said it and keep going. I've seen all three of those things happen. So this is going to take any kind of that uncomfortableness for those type for those physicians and allow them to say, "Hey, we've got a good we've got a good uh, thing for you to try here. It's FDA approved. They can get behind it." So then the next question comes: Is who's going to help? Well, this is something I think about all the time. Are you guys going to get involved with the training? Because we always say like, oh, the doctors will take care of it, but that's eh, not really going to happen. You, you, you know what I mean? Like they're not going to understand loop the way you do or the way I do. I could, I could grab somebody's loop app right now who I don't even know and probably get it working in a day, you, you know, like, and, and make adjustments to their stuff. But that's unfair to ask the doctors to do. And, you know, especially when things don't, what do I want to say? I was really good at using insulin. And then I got to watch Night Scout, and then I got way better at it. Like watching the algorithm do what it does, mm -hmm. it was like a it was like a master's class in how insulin works. And I already had a good idea about it, but just to watch mm -hmm. it take basil away, and then give a little back, and then give some extra, and then take it away again, I was like, oh my god, this is just a dance that never stops. Really, um, exactly. I learned a lot, but the doctors aren't going to get to see that. Or are you going to figure out a way to? train them or how is that going to go? Yeah. So let me unpack that question. There's a lot in there. How yeah. is training going to happen? How will doctors get access to the data? So we developed training both for the person living with diabetes, uh, also caregivers. So part of our human factors testing was testing uh, what, what are called dyads. So parent and child uh, pairings. So training that is targeted at parents and including training that is targeted um at adolescents who are on the transition to self-managed care. So we created a whole curriculum that is actually both built into the application, but also exists in traditional user manual form. And then take all of that, we recreated 
healthcare provider training. So the healthcare providing provider training uh, exists in traditional forms. We will also have lots of content on our website in terms of knowledge base and support articles. And we will keep doing something we've been doing for years, which is online, both live and recorded webinars to teach people how to use it. At the end of the day, we feel really strongly that people need to be able to learn how to use it on their own. Their healthcare provider will be there, but we can't be dependent on the healthcare provider to provide training to the person living with diabetes. It has to be self-evident. And the way we do that is by building training right into the app. You have to go through an entire onboarding experience before you can start delivering insulin. And then there's help within the app at all times. If you have questions about something, how something works, you can actually get help from right within the app. So one of the things I'm really excited about is we heard both during the human factors testing, and you can also hear over and over from people in the DIY community is how elegant and simple using loop is. And I think that really helps make learning all of that material much easier because you can um, look at it, uh, look at the home screen of loop and just see, aha, I see what my glucose is doing. I see what the insulin is doing. I see what the carbohydrates are doing. That all makes good sense to me. Yeah. Well, and then I, I did a thing I talked about earlier. I just said night scout as if everybody understands that. So that's an app I use to, Mm -hmm. to like, I can see my daughter's blood sugar and, and what her loop is doing. Are you guys going to have like a follow app for for caregivers? Yeah, uh, super, super question. And sorry, I forgot to touch on that. Um, so popping back a level, Tidepool started life as a data management platform, and we are still a data management platform. So Tidepool Loop will automatically up to upload data to Tidepool. So people will be able to see their data in Tidepool for web in Tidepool Mobile. And yes, we will have a follower experience uh, that'll enable loved ones to be able to see um, your glucose and insulin data remotely. Yeah, I was going to say you're going to be my GitHub, but but, right? like you, <laughs> but nobody will understand that. So I'm not going to say it. Uh, and uh, let me always be clear, I'm always only about 90% sure of any of the things I'm saying around lupus, right? Because I just am so not technically adept about, about that side of it. But also, I think that gives me a lot of comfort because, and for, for other people, because with a little bit of help, I was able to figure out a thing that my brain doesn't naturally do. Like when mm-hmm. you were talking about like screens that explain things, I picture myself sitting there going next, 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 and not reading because I, because I'm, I'm broken. And, and that's not a thing I learned by doing. Um, but I, I, it's very comforting to think that it's going to be out there for people like this. And that, it, that, that, especially that, that, that idea that I'm, I, I don't, I don't mean it this way, but the idea that I'm doing something wrong or that's not like that somebody hasn't said is okay. Like just to take that weight off of mm-hmm. people saying this is the, the FDA said, this is okay. Like, I think that's going to be really helpful for a lot of people and help them, move forward because I, I haven't said it to you yet, but I think algorithms are 1 million percent the future and the present of how people manage can be managing their, their insulin. It's just, it's, it's just such a leap above trying to do it yourself. Um, at least yeah, in I, experience. I totally agree. Yeah. I, you know, obviously what we both want for our daughters is a cure for type one. Um, 
hopefully research will pan out and that will happen in their lifetime between now and then i completely agree that the next best thing in terms of both achieving great outcomes but even more importantly for me reducing the burden of living with type one is to have automated insulin delivery so i'm very excited to that we're participating in that and a tiny little thing that i always throw in i think aaron kowalski said it to me once it's just even if we could just make the cannula material better so there's not, mm-hmm. you know, so that sites work more the way you expect them to consistently would be such a big yep. deal too. Uh, I didn't ask a secondary question about the, whether you'll have a follow-up. People also want to know if you can bolus from that app. Like will a parent be able to bolus from their own phone? Yeah. Uh, so the version of Tidepool Loop that was just cleared does not have that functionality. We know that is something that people really love and it's something that we will absolutely consider for future versions. Mm-hmm. I will tell you that one of the things we spent a lot of time with the FDA on is um, cybersecurity. And once you open that up, it creates a mechanism by which someone could remotely deliver insulin, which definitely uh, should give everyone pause. That's uh, uh, I think it can be done safely, but it's going to take a lot of work to demonstrate how it can happen safely. Do you have? Um, were you able to get Apple Watch? Uh, can people a user belt? Absolutely. Oh, wow. Yeah, Tidepaloop absolutely has uh, as part of its feature set the ability to use an Apple Watch and to discreetly manage your diabetes right from your watch. Okay. What are some of the, well, my first question is, where can people go to see a list of the functionality? For I'm assuming you have a website where I can see that? Absolutely. We'd encourage everyone to go to tidepool.org slash loop, and you can read all about Tidepool Loop and also sign up for our mailing list to get updates on uh, things that are coming down the road. Okay. Do you, in your mind, you don't have to share them with me, but is there a list of things like you, you said, like you, you're going to be able to add things to the, to the app as you go. Like, I mean, the one that occurs to me is like auto bolus, right? adjustments mm-hmm. ad- adjustments through auto bolusing instead of through t- like temp basils is that mm-hmm. like one of the things you're looking at now that is absolutely something we're we're looking at right now i would say uh that uh, i talked about overrides that's clearly the next big suite of functionality that we need to consider for the next version of tide pull loop and we're working on that right now and then the biggest thing quite honestly that we get asked about and that we think is important is android support so this version of tide pull loop works on an iphone we chose that because that's what diy loop did so we were starting from an incredible foundation of an iphone and apple watch app written for ios but clearly if we want to fulfill our mission as a nonprofit, our goal is to have the broadest possible impact and to enable equitable access to the best possible diabetes technology and in order to do that we've got to get loop onto android so that's really important to us as well i can't say when that will be done and when that will be ready i just want everybody to know that it is really important to us and that's part of our mission as a nonprofit. you know you you just reminded me by saying you're a nonprofit that i have a question here and i think what the person's really asking me is how do you make money like like is it like how like at first i thought oh it was an angel investor that got you started and then but then how does like you've got a big group of people working for you like how does that all work yeah i I really appreciate the question so over time our goal is to be a self-sustaining nonprofit, Mm -hmm. and 
we are generating revenue now. Um, we get money from the device makers that we partner with. They pay us to integrate their devices into Tidepool Loop. And then over time, they will pay us because the more people that use Tidepool Loop with their devices, the more devices they will sell. So sure. they will give us a share of that revenue as well. We also generate revenue through our data management platform. Uh, we always have had and always will have a free version of the data management platform. But last summer, we launched what we call Tidepool Plus, which is an enterprise version of Tidepool for web that's very specifically geared towards the needs of enterprise healthcare provider clinics. So it provides functionality, for example, uh, that allows it to integrate with their single sign-on mechanism. It has functionality that allows them to manage their entire population of diabetes patients. So there's a dashboard where you can, for example, say, show me all my pregnant moms living with type one, or show me all my new diagnosis patients, or show me all my patients that are struggling with hypoglycemia so that I can provide better proactive care. Okay. And uh, it also lets you do um, integration with electronic health record systems, for example. So we generate revenue through Tidepool Plus, which is our enterprise version of Tidepool. We generate revenue through uh, Tidepool Loop, uh, doing both development work and then ultimately ongoing. And then the final bit is we get incredible support. And I've got to give a shout out to JDRF, to the Helmsley Charitable Trust in particular, uh, that have really supported us uh, tremendously over the years. And we would not be here without their support. And there are literally thousands of individual donors that have reached out and we get donations everywhere from a dollar to five dollars to a hundred dollars to ten thousand and sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars. And wow. every one of those donors makes a difference to us and it helps us do our work and continue on our mission. Wow. So for folks who are listening, who want to help support us, thank you in advance. If you have support us and if you'd like to support us, you can go to tidepool.org slash donate. Wow. It's really wonderful. It's, it's actually, it's, it's encouraging. It, it really is to just to know that it's that the people don't just say, Oh, that would be nice, but I'm willing to do a thing. And I mean, I listen, it's not, it's not money, but I have that feeling a little bit like I'm, I'm trying to spread the word about algorithms because I just, yeah. I just know how it will help people. And that's um, great. It, it just, and I think any, I think anywhere where people can do something that fits in with their thing is, is really yeah. valuable. I thought of one other way we make revenue and I'm remiss in, in, in talking about it. So I want to make sure your listeners know one of the things we do is when you make a tide pull account, we ask you, would you like to donate your data for research and product development. Mm -hmm. And uh, tens of thousands, I think we were well over 30,000 or 40,000 people have checked that box and said, yes, I'd like to donate my data. That's a pretty amazing thing because it lets us bundle up those data sets. We call this the Tidepool Big Data Donation Project and create these massive longitudinal data sets. We anonymize them, we strip out all identifying information, but we bundle the data sets together and we can give them away for free, which we do often to nonprofit academic researchers, but we can also license those data sets to for-profit companies, whether they're doing pharmaceutical development or uh, diabetes device development. Wow. And that's another way that we make revenue. 
One of the things we do as part of that program, because we're a nonprofit, is we want to give back a little to the other diabetes nonprofits that are working so hard to make things better for everyone. So we let you choose which diabetes nonprofit you want us to share that with that revenue with. And we uh, share 10% of the revenue that we get through the Tidepool Big Data Donation Project back with other diabetes nonprofits, uh, nonprofits like Children with Diabetes, uh, JDRF, Diabetes Sisters, uh, Beyond Type 1. There's a whole list there that people can choose from. Oh, that's amazing. Well, thank you. I'm, I, I'm glad I asked that question. I almost skipped over it. Now I'm like, well, that worked out. Um, Tidepool just in America or other places? So uh, the company is based in the U.S., but we do have international employees. We're a completely remote organization. I'm sitting here in Mountain View, California. Syra is in Southern California. We've got people all over the U.S. and in Europe. And over the course of time, we've had people in New Zealand and Australia and lots of other places, Canada. Um, uh, in terms of use, we officially support our use in the United States. Uh, for our Tidepool data management platform. We know we've got tons of users internationally. We are GDPR compliant, which is the data privacy um, regulation in the uh, European Union. We don't specifically claim that we meet any locales data privacy requirements. There are some pretty funky ones. Sometimes countries will say, well, your servers have to be in our country. We don't do that yet, but we also don't shut people off if we know that they're in another country. We know we've got a ton of people in Israel, for example. There's a ton of people in Northern Europe. And so mm -hmm. our goal over time is to much more officially support other languages and other locales. Right now, we're largely U.S.-centric, but we definitely have a pretty healthy use population outside the U.S. For people who are um, familiar with Loop and probably familiar with the app that you started with, has there been anything like we talked about some things you've put into it was anything taken mm -hmm. out of it at the behest of the fda or did it pretty much stay the way it, it was uh it is largely the way it was i think the constraints on settings were the biggest thing most notably target range being constrained to uh 87 to 180 and that wasn't necessarily something the FDA asked us to do. That was something that we knew we needed to do in order to support support our submission with the clinical data we had. Um, but by and large, the features and functionality in Tidepool Loop map to the features and functionality in DIY Loop. It's the DIY Loop of mid-2020, however. So we have a little bit of work to do to catch up, but we'll be able to do that much more quickly now that we have clearance. Did they ask you to add NAGs? Um like after a new site change, like don't forget to check your blood sugar like an hour after you made the site change. Did they ask you to put any stuff like that in? No, they did not ask us to do anything like that. Um, we did spend a lot of time with them talking through how alerts and alarms will work. And I want to give the agency a lot of credit on this. They really understand that there are just times when you don't want your phone to make noise. If you're, uh, getting married, you're in a wedding chapel, you're uh, in a choir singing, you're in a recording studio. Um, you know, it's it's uh, terrible to think about. But if you're in a lockdown situation in a school, like there are just times when you don't want your app making noise. Right. And the FDA uh, and Tidepool iterated on a design for alerts and alarms that makes it possible to provide safe 
alerts and alarms that let you know when there's something you need to pay attention to, but they that also lets you mute them for significant periods of time so that you can accommodate those situations. Here's a question. Does this make my phone a medical device? Does that not have to buy me an iPhone now is what I'm asking? Uh, your iPhone is still an iPhone. Um, your iPhone is being used as a platform for software as a medical device. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I can answer the question if if it actually turns. I mean, the, the iPhone is not submitted to the FDA as a medical device, if that's your question. Right. But I can't run the app without it. That's right. Oh, I'm totally calling it. No, I see what's happening. Yeah, okay. I'm giving this a shot. <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm just gonna go out on a limb and say your insurance company is not gonna buy you. Oh no, account. they're gonna turn me down. Probably. Sorry laughing. to disappoint yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, but I'm still gonna ask. <laughs> Let us know how that goes for you. Scott. Oh, oh, sure. Uh, it'll go like this. Hello, hello. I think they hung up. Well, <laughs> <So, laughs> um, uh, I'm sorry. I lost my space here for a second. Uh, oh, profile switching. Uh, people are wondering if you'd be able to, like, you know, uh, using a, a menstruating woman as an example, like, you know, could I do premenstrual during the event? I never know what to call it, like that kind of stuff. Like, do you have that? Yeah. The, oops. Sorry, I just lost an AirPod, and I'll deal with it later. <laughs> uh, uh, the work that we are working on now that will add overrides similar to what you see in DIY loop, I think is the way that um, uh, that will be accommodated. So you'll be able to have uh, different forms of overrides for different uh, parts of your menstrual cycle. Mm-hmm. Okay. But that does not exist in the typo loop that was cleared this week. Gotcha. Um, I'm skipping that one. Hold on a second. <laughs> did that one i'm doing good here howard you are actually you're doing really well i'm basically just reading these are (laughs) great questions your uh your listeners really uh know what they're listening to and know what they're talking about i i agree with that um can you be a salesman for a second and answer to answer this question why do i want this and i don't want control iq or i don't want the medtronic one or i don't want omnipilot why do i want yours you know, I'm going to politely decline to answer that. I think it's a great thing that there are different choices in the world. I think Control IQ is going to be the right choice for a lot of people. I think Omnipod 5 is going to be the right choice for a lot of people. And I think for a lot of people, Tide Loop will be the right choice. Yeah. What I want to see is more interoperability and more choice. I want people to be able to say, that's the right CGM for me. That's the right pump for me. And this is the right user experience and algorithm for me. I agree with you. I was just asking the question, but but I I, sure. I, I a million percent agree with you. Um, I don't care. Honestly, no one should care. One company is not going to get all the business. It, there's somebody's always going to want to be tubeless or not want to be tubeless or want to use this. You know, want to use a Dexcom or rather use a Libre or some. I mean, somebody eventually is going to want to use a Medtronic sensor. Sorry, and um, <laughs> you know, like like so when that happens, you you don't want to just be like, oh well, now I'm. St- I have to use this thing. And, and at some point, all those companies have to see that. There, I, I talked to too many people who were like, well, I have a, uh, as an example, I have a Medtronic pump, but I want to use a Dexcom. And so they end up leaving Medtronic because of that. And I'm sure that happens in all different directions with all these companies. You would think that the idea of interoperability would be, you think it would be paramount to them. Uh, anyway, that's how I see it. But um, 
I'm not going to make you answer that, but thank you. Uh, is there any? I'll, I'll, I'll answer it. Well, I, I completely ahead. agree. I oh, think okay. choice is a good thing. I think interoperability is a good thing. And I think the thing that interoperability and choice also lead to is greater access. At the end of the day, what I really want to see happen is everybody, everybody who is living with diabetes to get access to the right technology that works for them. And we just have a lot of work to do. And this is, you know, way above my pay grade, but as I'm sure your listeners know, the, you know, reimbursement system, the healthcare system, the um, way access to technology happens today is not fair and equitable. And we are a long way away from the, you know, new diagnosis kid with type one, who's got a single parent on public assistance assurance, public assistance insurance, getting access to the best possible technology. And our small part in that is let's make it easier. Let's make it easier with an interoperable system so that someone can actually get access to the best possible care. Yeah. yeah. There's lots more to be done, but that's what I want to see happen. Amen. That That's well said. Um, all right, Howard, let me ask you this. Is there anything I didn't ask you? Something I should have? Wow. We covered a lot of ground, Scott. Um, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Syrah, is there anything that you can think of? Shaking your head at us. Um, I know that I was, the one thing I never do understand is that, the uh, difference between like cleared by the FDA and approved by the FDA. They have actually oh, yeah, two that's different a, things. Absolutely. They okay. are two different things. Here's the uh, 60 second uh, digest of what that means. Mm-hmm. The FDA thinks about medical devices and products in uh, risk levels, risk stratification. There are class one, class two, and class three devices. Class three is the riskiest and class one is the least risky. So tongue depressors and band-aids and uh, over-the-counter medicines and things that don't carry a lot of risk are class one. Uh, historically speaking, anything that is new is automatically designated class three because it carries unknown risk. Okay. What the FDA did was they created these pathways and they're called de novo pathways. And de novo means we are going to consider this from new. It means from the new in Latin as a class two device. So these interoperability pathways, the IAGC, I. CGM and ACE pump designations that I talked about earlier are all class two devices. When you submit a class three device, you have to go through what's called the PMA process, pre-market authorization, so uh, uh, or pre-market approval. And so that's when you get FDA approved is when you have a class three device. With a class two device, you're getting what's known as 510K clearance. And what that's saying is my device is just like this other device that is the same other class two device. And so you get FDA cleared. That's what we just did. We submitted a 510K application and we got clearance for Tidepool Loop. Our predicate device was Control IQ. So part of our submission was going feature by feature, capability by capability and saying, here's why our device is what's known as substantially equivalent to the control IQ. Mm-hmm. What's cool about us getting clearance now as a class two device is we can become the predicate device for all future devices that want to do similar things to what we've done. Okay. And we're pretty proud of that. Wow. Uh, you should be. That's wonderful. This whole thing Thanks. is amazing. Uh, you know, I have to tell you, just to give people the idea of about a span of time, 
I looked while you were talking earlier. You brought up Dana and Scott, mm-hmm. the the husband and wife who, you know, back when uh, open APS and they were talking about that. They were on my podcast on episode 63 and 64 concurrently. And my best guess is that you're going to be episode like 838 or something like that. Whoa. And when they That's were amazing. when they were talking back then, it was I was gobsmacked. I was like, this lady says that, like, you know what I mean? I'm like, she's saying that there's a thing on a thing, and she's saying raspberry pi. And I'm like, this sounds like stuff I don't understand. And and then she's talking about how great her stuff is and and uh, how how her outcomes are. And then I didn't think of it for years. Like it just it felt to me like um like back then it just felt to me like it was three people who were doing this thing, and I happened to talk to a couple of them to see that. I don't know that. I mean, how many years later that is, that was the beginning of 2016 that that happened. Well, if I can pile on that for a second, I think uh, Dana and Scott, Dana Lewis and Scott Liebrand, and it may be pronounced Liebrand. I apologies, apologies, Scott, if I've gotten it wrong. Um, And before them, uh, John Costick, who did the work to reverse engineer the Dexcom G4, um, Ben West, who did the work to reverse engineer the Medtronic insulin pump, uh, and there's a whole bunch of other folks who worked on Night Scout, and I'll miss a bunch of names if I even try, but they all know who they are. Like those, everyone who did all of that early work laid this incredible foundation. And I often say that at Tidepool, we're standing on the shoulders of giants. And it's very true. We could not have done this without the work of all the people I just mentioned, without the work of Nate Ratcliffe, uh, who wrote the original version of Loop. And to me, it is just incredible testament to how this community wants to make a difference. Like I said earlier, every single person is just saying, hey, I think there's a better way to do it. I'm going to go do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to use it on myself. I'm going to share my work. I'm going to take uh, contributions that other people make and make it even better. And everybody did that. And and I hope in our little way, Tidepool is doing that too. We're sharing everything we're doing openly. All of our code is out there. We're actually publishing all of our regulatory interactions uh, openly because we want to help other innovators and entrepreneurs with their interactions with the FDA. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it takes a village uh, to help deal with this crappy disease. So yeah. we're trying to do the best we can. I can't thank you enough for having the idea and bringing it forward like this. And for all the people, like you said, I can't name them the way you can, but I'm so grateful for all of them. My daughter's life is, is monument monumentally different, like just different than it would have been otherwise. And yeah. I'm, and I'm Same. not, I'm not kidding you. I was, I was going to kill myself with the not sleeping thing. You know, the first, yeah, the first few years I taught my, I talked myself into believing I was one of those people who didn't need sleep. Like, you know, we all tell ourselves that at one point, like I'll be okay. But yeah. man, six, seven years into it. And I was, I was hanging on by a, by a shoestring, you know, and um, I hear you. it's a big deal for me. So, and yeah, for a lot of same, people, same, my daughter has benefited. My wife and I have benefited and thousands of other people too. Okay. Tidepool.org, right? That's it. All right. Tidepool.org slash loop. Sign up and we'll keep you updated. Howard, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, Scott. I really appreciate it. I do too. First, I'd like to thank Howard for coming on the show and talking to me today about Tidepool Loop. And of course, I also want to thank the Contour Next One blood glucose meter. Contournext.com forward slash juicebox. Head over there today. See the meter. 
that my daughter uses. It's incredibly accurate. It's one of the reasons I love it the most. I also want to thank US Med and remind you to go to usmed.com forward slash juice box to get your free benefits check. Or you can call 888-721-1514. Last reminder, juiceboxpodcast.com type one diabetes is our private Facebook group. In the featured tab, a list of algorithm-based episodes where you can find them at the top of juiceboxpodcast.com. They're in your episode guides. That's where you'll find the episode guides or they're in your podcast players. Just use a search like Juicebox Podcast and then, you know, there's, I don't know, you got to find out the names of the episodes. There's like Fox in the Loop House and the Loop de Loop and you'll see there's a bunch of them there. Go find the list. I'll, um, I'll do the, you know what? I'm in a good mood. I'll put a list of the episode numbers in the show notes of your podcast player. So in the show notes of the audio app you're listening in right now, besides links to all the sponsors, I'll put the episode numbers of all of the algorithm-based episodes. Does that sound good? All right. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back very soon with another episode of the Juicebox Podcast.